Hey, what's up? It's Michael Yo. Thank you for listening to the Michael Yo Show. I mean, you guys are coming in. The podcast is growing and growing and growing. I appreciate the love. And yes, I, I'm still getting so much feedback. I was on America's Got Talent for Comedy a couple weeks back, and you guys are still hitting me up. You know, fingers crossed I make it to the next round. I feel good, but you never know. Uh, so I'm very, very excited. Like I always say, you know, dreams don't have deadlines. So if you have a dream, definitely go for it. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, make sure you go for that dream. Now, I'm so excited to have this next guest. Uh, I was on the Joe Rogan podcast and me and him just talked about this book. And I told him that this book is a game changer. It really is a game changer for me because you actually look at the world differently after you read this book and you really listen to people differently as well. When you talk to him, yeah, he wrote the book, Never Split the Difference. Uh, I, I loved it. I can't recommend it enough. Chris Voss, how are you? Hey, man, I'm great. I'm great. It's it's cool to be on with you. I, I love the fact that uh, you gave me a lot of love on Rogan's show. And I, I do have one question, though. Yes. What do I got to do to get one of those hats, man? That hat is cool. I dig oh, that hat. That is oh, the coolest hat. I'd wear that everywhere. It's coming your way. I'll, I'll right. send you the blue one, and I'll send you the black one. Oh, man, I dig it. That's a cool hat. I'm, I'm, it's a very cool hat. Thank you, man. Thank you. So, first of all, I love, love the book. Um, it's, it, let me tell you, it's even helped me at home with my wife. Because after you read the book, I don't want to call them tricks. <laughs> I don't want to call it tricks. No, there's because, no trickery in a relationship, is there? No, no, no. But I do ask this question a lot. I look at my wife when I see she's frustrated and I just go, how can I help? Oh. And she lists out the list. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to predict. I, it's basically I'm giving her the answer. I'm giving her the problem to give me the answer. How can I help you? And then she tells me everything she needs done. I'm like, okay, great. Now I know what I got to do instead of trying to guess and make her mad. So I love just that little aspect at home. It seems like it, it, it's helped a lot too, where it's a thing where it puts her at ease. And she, they're very, my wife is very appreciative for me just going, how can I help? Yeah. You know, cause sometimes they don't want help. They just want you to do your thing. Exactly. Right. That's the first thing you got to know, right? It might be that you can help by just letting her talk. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> that's what we got to learn in relationships sometimes guys you just need to shut up <laughs> so yeah. i want to talk about the book never split the difference like i said it's a game changer for me but i want to take people back that might not know you or have not read the book yet you're a negotiator but how'd you get like how were you as a kid did you know you wanted to be a negotiator did it kind of just fall into your lap how does a person go about this no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I look back. I mean, I grew up in a small, small town. I was, you know, a small town in Iowa, middle class entrepreneurial family. I think we were always about problem solving. My father was a very much a figure it out, figure it out yourself kind of guy and, you know, get stuff done. So I think I always naturally leaned in that direction. And when I found out that, you know, communication, human communication, negotiation was a great way to solve just like all kinds of problems. I stumbled into it a little bit at a time and I'd see people that were effective at it. And, I, and I'm like, oh, all right, this is a better way of doing this. And, I, and one thing led to another and I'm on your show. 
Yeah. How did, so was it tough to move up the ranks, like compared to other jobs? Is it tough to move up the ranks as a negotiator? No, not if you're into it. And, you know, you, you, you need, you get, you need some luck with the environment, but I happen to believe that the environment is pretty permissive anyway. You know, fortune favors the bold, if you will. That doesn't mean that your strategies will always work out. It just means that good strategies work out most of the time. You know, and we live in a Las Vegas world. You want to gamble at the table where the odds are in your favor. So I was always after it, and and I didn't know it at the time, but that was one of the big criteria within my hostage negotiation world. They were looking for people that would get after it on their own. And, you know, you get dropped into the middle of a country, you got to negotiate a kidnapping. You don't need to wait for people's permission to do stuff because this clock is ticking. You need to get after it. So they needed to they needed to look for people that were willing to be very self-initiated on their own and also be very coachable. And I was always both things. So when you become a negotiator and, you know, I, I would imagine like at anything, you make a lot of mistakes at the beginning, but the mistakes you make as a negotiator at the beginning can mean death to someone. So how do you deal with that pressure? Well, you know, you learn that, first of all, you learn two things, best chance of success. You learn a process that gives you the best chance of success, which by definition means it's not infallible. And if you get that, if you got the process, you spend the time to learn the process. And then the other thing too is like, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back to use that, uh, that euphemism, that phrase, the straw didn't break the camel's back by itself. It was an accumulation of things. So if you're, if you're reading the environment and you're looking for accumulation chances are a single mistake is not going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Now, when you go into these negotiations, who has the upper hand before it even starts? Is it you or is it the people that are holding somebody or is it the person that holds some type of power that you may want or you may want to crack? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, uh, leverage is in the eye of the beholder. And we don't even talk about leverage that much anymore. We talk about influence. And I can remember one of my professors at Harvard once said, you know, it's, it doesn't matter what leverage they have on you. What matters is what they think of the leverage you have on them. And then it becomes a really psychological concept, which really boils down to what you think matters is probably not what they think matters. So you got to figure out what they think matters and then play in that game. And that's how you get the upper hand. Example, terrorists. The lives don't matter. The publicity does. Mm. As soon as you start thinking about what are they trying to get with their publicity, if there's good publicity, there's bad pub publicity. How do you figure out what they think is bad? I remember way back when I saw terrorists, when they were angry at a group, they would call them cowards. You know, like plenty of Islamic terrorist groups that were always calling the Israeli cowards. And I was like, ooh, that must get under their skin. If we can get a way to make the media call them cowards, That'll be the game changer. And it was. So now I want to I want to get deep. Now you said if we can get the media yeah. to call them cowards, you guys must have an inside track. Because you were with the CIA, correct? Or what they How FBI. dare you? How dare you? I'm sorry. CIA. How dare you? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I could my typical response to that was well, I won't say my typical response. Uh oh, don't <laughs> say your typical response, please. My parents were married. I couldn't have been in the CIA. But boom. <laughs> But no, FBI, brother. That was FBI. FBI. We're right. good guys. The, 
<laughs> Are you? <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> no, but with the FBI, I, I totally forgot my question now. With the FBI, what was it going to say? No, media. Do we have an inside track? Oh, yeah. So media? you have to have an inside track with media to kind of influence them because I, I'm sure because you FBI holds a lot of power. You call up a media company. Hey, we really need help with this. Can you call them cowards? Uh, so that's a negotiation. And okay. you know, a lot of people bash the media. Like when I was with the FBI, I never had a problem with them ever because, you know, we had a straight laced negotiation. Like, yeah, we talk about it in the master class. Um, in the master class, which was cool, uh, they talked about the Jill Carroll case, and I'd never talked about that anywhere else. Here's what we did with the media. Negotiate with them up front. I call them on the phone. I said, look, I can give you an exclusive interview. Here are the terms. If you don't like the terms, don't take the interview. You know, we, we need you to interview Jill Carroll's father. We need you to let him make his statement intact. You have to promise to make that statement intact available to the Middle Eastern media outlets. You follow those criteria, you get the interview. You don't, cool. You got no interview. Now, every time I would set something up in advance, in advance like that with the media, be very clear on the expectations. I was never double-crossed, ever. Mm. Everybody I dealt with, as long as I was clear, never broke a single term. If there was something they did that I didn't expect, it was only because I didn't talk to them about it. I didn't tell them not to do it. And they were like, you didn't tell us not to do it. And I'm like, okay, you got a good point. But every single time that I would talk with them up front, and then it's your choice. Here are the conditions. Take it or not. Another case, we did an interview. I said, you got exclusive access to a family member. Nobody else in the world has this access. You can't ask them a single question. Not one. If you can't do that, cool. I got. Well, no how do you do an interview without asking them a question? That guy was just going to talk? We had we we would tell the family member, okay, here's what's going to resonate. Be emotionally intelligent within that community. Number one is respect. Number two, very narrowly tell the truth. For example, what one of the things we told Jim Carroll to say about his daughter, we couldn't say, do not say to the bad guys, your daughter's innocent. Because innocent is an arguable term. Here's what you need to say. Tell her she's tell them she is not your enemy. That's inarguable. She was never their enemy. And you need to say things that, that make the other side go, wow, that's a good point. And they ended up releasing Jill Kara as a result. Not only did they release her as a result, before right, right after her father's first statement in the media, they came to her. We found out after the fact. They came to her and said, your father's an honorable man. Boom, game over. Because in their society, which we had to respect, in their culture, which we had to respect, honor flows from the father. If they recognize that her father's an honorable man, they can't touch her, which put them in an awkward position because now they got a hostage they can't hurt. And I would imagine the people around them are saying he's an honorable man too. So if they did do something to that daughter, they would be punished. Exactly. And now it resonates in a community where if they hurt the daughter of an honorable man, what does that make them? Cowards. Cowards. Okay. Okay. So when somebody becomes a hostage, 
you know, is there a certain time length where if it goes past this mark, it's too late. We're not going to, we're not going to get them. Is there a certain like length of time in that? Uh, depends upon how it gets set up up front. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we used to have to read, and this is just negotiation. This is just reading what the other side's going to do based on what they said. These exact same principles apply to personal relationships, business relationships. We're working on another case in the Middle East where they make it look like negotiation, but they set up an impossible condition in advance. Uh, Al-Qaeda was doing this in 2004 quite a bit. They were saying, like, if you don't get all the Americans out of Iraq in 72 hours, we're going to kill the hostage. Well, look, even if the U.S. wanted to get all the Americans out, they couldn't do it in 72 hours. That's an impossible task. You had to know in advance whether or not it was an impossible task. And then you got to be willing to tell the truth. We came back and we said, like, even if we wanted to do this, we couldn't. And you know that. So you're not negotiating. You're setting us up for failure. I, I get business people coming to me with the same problems. They're like a, a medical company about a year and a half ago. People on the other side of the table. This guy, all he does is call us names. It almost seems like he, he doesn't want to make a deal. And I said to him, that's exactly what he wants because of the changes in the healthcare system due to Obamacare and then the Republicans coming back, proposing legislation right and left. Nobody in the medical community knows what's going to happen. This guy's not trying to make a deal because he's too afraid of the future. He's just buying time. You got to say that to him. Mm-hmm. So in the business world, what is there one through line from negotiating with terrorists to the business world to personal relationships? a through line that's kind of the same in all of them in negotiating. You know, what drives us as human beings is what the through line is. And there's certain things that certain ways that we react that it doesn't matter what your gender or your ethnicity is. You've got a wiring in you called the limbic system, which you got because you're human. It's just like the respiratory system and it works pretty much the same way. It's, It's like asking me, can a paramedic save me? The same paramedic could save me, could save you. You're a different ethnicity than me. You grew up in a different environment. And the answer is, yeah, because the physiology is pretty much the same. We now know from neuroscience that the emotional wiring, everybody's got the same components in their brain. There's Nobel Prize winning uh, economics, Danny Kahneman, prospect theory. All human beings overly react to loss. Not men, not Westerners, not Christians all human beings overly react to loss. And it's actually at least a ratio of two to one. So you start from that with an understanding of how people tick and then that's the through line. Okay. So, so loss is a big part. And loss is the overriding driver of human decision-making. It's not the only driver. It's just the overriding driver. And, uh, you know, let's, let's go back to the Vegas analogy. Like I want to know what the odds are. You know, what's the best card that will win for me most of the time? Loss. Bang. I'm playing that card. If that's a Trump card, that's what I'm going to use. I don't understand the whole, you could be at a table in Vegas and they're like, you're not going by the Vegas rules. And then I look around at all the casinos and I'm like, well, the Vegas rules are building (laughs) all these hotels. So obviously the Vegas rules aren't working for us. What game do you, when you, when you get good, what table do you want to sit at? Oh, you do want to sit where everybody knows what they're doing. Or you actually, it, it was the answer I was fishing for. Cause this is a okay. great, great Val Kimmer line from Tombstone. You know, that, that was a movie I got a kick out of. 
You want to sit at the poker table because you're not playing against the house. You're playing against the other players. Got you. Okay. 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 So now when you, what, what's been the most dangerous situation you were ever dropped into? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm, I'm back in the Philippines for round two, the Burnham Sabero case. We drop us in and I'm taking a female FBI agent. It's her, it's her first gig on an overseas gig. So she's there as a sidekick right along. We landed in Manila airport. I get a message. They want you to fly down to the battle zone. I'm like, okay. Uh, the guy's giving me the message. I know sufficiently vetted, vetted the risk in advance. So I'm like, all right, cool. I know Jim, I know Jim, Jim, Jim is good with this. I'm good. Let's go. We get down there. The first briefing we get is what to do in case our position is overrun by the terrorists. What's, what's the, what's, how do we bug out? What's the bug out strategy? How do we get out of there? And I'm, I'm kind of like, remember in uh, Pulp Fiction when uh, Sam Jackson is mad at John Travolta and he's glaring at him and Travolta goes, I can feel you looking at me. Yeah. Well, I can feel her looking at me. She is glaring at me. Like, <laughs> like if we get overrun, and I, and I, and I, without even looking at her, I said, look, it's not always like this. <laughs> <laughs> you already had to start negotiating with her before. <laughs> I could feel the look. I could yeah. feel the look. So you got dry. And how did that one come out? It was, uh, it obviously was, you're still here. So it worked out for it. you. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> now we, it was, it was surreal. Uh, that was one of the, that was one of the ones. They, they, my, my negotiator, the guy I was coaching in that negotiation was the head of their SAF, who was a, who was a badass. Uh, SAF is a special action force equivalent of the Navy SEALs. We parked company that night because he says, I'm going to go be with my guys because he, in his assessment, not all of his guys were going to live. Someone's going to go down overnight. Mm -hmm. So I go, I go to bed, I go to sleep expecting to be woken up to tragedy. I wake up the next morning, silence. The facility that I'm in, nobody's around. Sun is shining. I mean, dead, quiet, silent. I'm like, I'm like, did I wake up in a movie here? What the hell happened? Where is everybody? I walk around, I walk around, I walk around. You know, I, I finally find somebody. So nobody's saying that there was corruption was involved, but it was reported to us that at one point in time, somebody with a briefcase walked out of the site where the bad guys were holed up, happened to be a hospital was reported that the briefcase was handed off to someone who looked to be in a military uniform. It was reported that the people guarding the back of the hospital were called away to a briefing. And coincidentally, the terrorists happened to walk out the back door and escape during the briefing. Who'd have thought? <laughs> you know what? Money is very powerful. <laughs> Money is very powerful. You know, and again, it's human nature, right? Human nature is going down. Who, who's who's going to, you know, the loss of that score from somebody on one side to the other. And they were like, yeah, they walked away. Now, during negotiations, because you've been put in so many dangerous positions, have you ever lost someone? Yeah, of course. Okay. Success means things go bad sometimes. So what was that feeling the first time you lost someone? Do yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and I've since... Um, uh, responded more appropriately, but yeah, at the moment it was the worst moment of my professional career. I got again as a Burnham case, Burnham Sabero case. 
about 13 months in, about 5.30 in the morning, I'm back in D.C. because I'm rotated out temporarily. I get a call on the phone from a good friend and colleague, Kevin Rust, and he says two sentences. I've got bad news. Martin is dead. Hmm. And, I was, and I was like, all right. And you delivered that to me perfectly. You gave me just enough time to prep myself. You didn't torture me, making make me wait. Bang. A botched rescue attempt. Two out of three remaining hostages killed by friendly fire. The hostage who survived, Gracia Burnham, shot in the leg. Through and through wounds, she lived. Her husband died in her arms. Ugh. That was, um, that was a, a tough moment at the time. But I made the rest of the phone calls exactly that same way. You know, I, I called. I had to make notifications across the government because, as usual, I was the first one to find out. And then that, that was a low. And for me, that, and that was like, all right, I've always said this is best chance of success, which means let's do a thorough review of what we've done. We did. We did everything we knew how to do. My response was, if what we know isn't enough, and there's only one answer, get out and get better. And my choice was to get better. And that was, and, how, that was how I ended up collaborating with Harvard after that. And are you the one that actually, are you making the phone calls to family members or no? Uh, at that point in time, our, no, it wasn't me. It was people okay. working for me. We had uh, Our protocol at the time was to get a hostage negotiator close to every family member in the U.S. And I had phenomenal people in Kansas City. Most of the family was in Kansas City. There was a sister of Gracious Mary Jones, who was a tiger. I mean, if there's ever anybody, Mary Jones is somebody you want to have stand up for you. She was in Cincinnati, had a negotiator talking to her. People working for me made the notifications. Mm. Now, even though these are in your past and you don't negotiate, you know, in terrorist situations anymore, do you, I, does it still stay with you? And do you still have dreams about them sometimes? Uh, well, I'm into what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, occasionally I have flashbacks, you know, that yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, I, I wake imagine. up screaming at night, but you know, there are, there are, there are moments when, when, you know, I've had dreams that, that have flashed me back to those times. And now you're actually helping people in the business world with negotiating. I, I, I read a couple of stories in your book where you help people get raises and that's the toughest thing is if you don't like, I'm in the industry. So we have an agent that goes back and forth. But a lot of people don't have somebody to speak for them. So they got to be in that boss's office negotiating themselves, which is a terrible situation, I would think, to be in. Well, I, you know, we don't help people get raises. We help people make life-changing deals. Yes. And that is not the same thing. Uh-huh. Because, and we get this weekly, I mean, literally weekly, which is a cool thing. You make a life-changing deal that also makes your boss better off. That's how it sticks. That's how that's how they're on your side. That's how they propel your career forward. You know, a raise that helps you, you know, go from a one-bedroom to a two-bedroom. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. But that ain't gonna build your life. You gotta build your life within your company. You gotta, you know, you gotta build your company with your company. And then and nine times out of ten, which means one time out of ten it ain't going to go well because they're not going to reward you. Which, what does that mean? That means you move on. You move on to somebody that will reward you. When I, when I was teaching at USC, uh, you know, I taught in business school at USC, negotiation classes. And I remember one young lady stood up and said, I'm in a, you know, I'm in a company that's uh, notorious for not paying women as much as men. How do I get a better deal? 
with them because they don't pay women as much. And I said, all right, so I'm going to, I'm going to react as your dad, your brother, your husband right now instead. Quit. Here's the problem. If they're not paying women as much as they're paying men, they're going the way of the dodo. That's stupid. That's inherently dumb. 40% of the fortune 500 is going to turn over in 10 years. And I'm here to tell you that company that you deal with, if they're that stupid, they're going bankrupt and you need to go out, get out of there and work with someone that does want to reward you. If I was your, if I was your dad and you said, dad, how do I, how do I get my boyfriend to stop beating me? I'm going to say to you, go find a better boyfriend. Yeah. If you're someplace where they're underpaying based on any surface characteristic, gender, ethnicity, anything, I'm here to tell you that's a lousy company. They're going bankrupt and they're sucking a life out of you in the meantime. Now you're going to leave them eventually one way or the other. The sooner you leave, the better off you are. You can wait till they go bankrupt or they get bought out, but you're going to waste an awful lot of your life in the meantime. I, I was in a position where I was at a job and it was paying so well. And my wife knew I, I was spinning my wheels. I knew when I was there, I wasn't moving forward or doing what I love right. or going after my dream. But my family was very comfortable doing you know, me in this position of this job. And then when I got out of it, I, I couldn't imagine life was so like, life has been so good Wow! just when you get out of it, because, you know, they always say, go for what you love, but also you're like, well, I got to pay the bills too. So you run into that problem where I got to feed my family. I got two kids now. I can't just walk off and have no money. But then when it finally, you finally do it, you find income for some reason, finds you when you need it. And it, it, you actually grow in a brand that you own. Like after re reading your book and after talking to like David Goggins, Joe Rogan, you know, people that really pump you up to go after your life, you know, and really get it. It's a thing where it's, I don't want to, I don't want to build your brand. I want to build my brand. Yeah, man. And see, and if you haven't done that before, it's hard to see what's on the other side. That's, yeah. that's the scary part because it looks blank. And it's the unknown. And unfortunately, you know, we're sort of taught the devil known is better than the unknown. But if the, if the unknown on the other side is a trade up, I mean, you trade it up, man. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and, I, and I saw that stuff about you. I mean, I thought, first of all, ridiculously admire your relationship with your wife. It sounds like from what I've seen, you guys got a great relationship. You're on each other's side. She's everything. Thank and you. Then, and, then, and then to go to the bride and say, hey, baby, I got an idea. I'm going to make less money. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me about it. She was like, uh, okay. But she's ride or die. And I and it kind of like what your book said. You got to find people that just want to take this journey with you. You got to get rid of all the other people. And, you know, the one thing that I learned in your book is you need to put yourself in the right position. So when you do need to negotiate, you know, your asset, you're, it's almost like you're too valuable to lose. So instead of just asking for that raise, like you said, oh, can I be a partner? You know, let me, let me be a partner. I remember when I had dinner with Kobe Bryant, um, year, like probably three or four years ago. And I remember I asked him, what's the worst mistake in your career you've made? He goes, you know what the worst mistake I made is all these people paid me millions of dollars to be the face of their brand when I should have been asking to be a partner in every one of the brands that endorsed me. He says, that's my biggest mistake on the sports side. So it was interesting hearing little things like that from different people and to read your book and know how to put yourself in a better position and know how to talk to someone that you actually need something from 
but also you're offering something they can't get from anybody else. And here's another thing that I love about that also, because, you know, that's a bit of a litmus test. Like if they want, if they want you to be a partner, that tells them it's a collaborative relationship. You know, if you say, if you say, look, I, I want to partner up with a black swan group on something. I'd be like, oh, that means we build a better future together. Now, I'd be really interested in that comment. Now, not everybody's going to be interested. If somebody doesn't want you to be a partner, do you want to be with them? No. Uh, no. Get a, it's get a great indicator. You, yeah. you're, you're, in a, you're in the wrong office. If you, want to, if you want to partner up with who you work for and they ain't having it, you are in the wrong office. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let, let's talk about the business office. What's you know, you get a lot of people coming in and you hear a lot of mistakes they're making at the office or, you know, in relationships. At the, what's the one kind of one mistake people make when they're going after what they want to go after in the office? Is there a common theme where it's like maybe they're too aggressive? Maybe they're not going after what they want. Maybe I, I, I don't know. You you hear all types of problems. I think I think the biggest mistake is 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 needing to go first, not hearing the other side out. Um, they're going to tell you stuff that you need to know. There's stuff you don't know that's going to be important that they have to tell you. If you believe that that's true, then whatever decisions you've made prior to hearing that stuff are based on flawed information. Your information is bad. It might be accurate, but it's faulted someplace. You really need to hear the other side out to find out if any of the ideas that you have are based on good footing or you need to flip things around. Like I, again, I'm coaching a client. He thinks he's being set up to be fired. In point of fact, they were setting him up for promotion. If he'd approach that negotiation with his boss based on I'm getting ready to be fired, that's the wrong track. You got to find out what's going on. They'd, he'd been given an impossible task. He thought, oh, you know, since they know I'm going to fail, they can fire me consequently. And point of fact, they gave him the impossible task because they thought he was the best they had and they didn't know where else to go. You're going to miss that. You got to hear the other side out. I mean, hear the other side out. They're going to tell you something you're going to be glad to hear. But I, in your book, when I was reading, you say if it, when it comes down to numbers, you always throw out the, you should always throw out the first number. Oh, no, 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 no. We, uh, that's we'll drive that by context a little bit more. Okay. I will allude to a large number. Yes. Yes. That's not the same thing. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's and please explain. All right. So you call Black Swan. You you send me a text message. You send me an email. Chris, I want you to consult. What's your rate? My answer is more than you have. More than you've ever thought of paying. <laughs> Higher than anybody else on earth. It's an obscenely high rate. And then, then now we're gonna now I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna find out what you got at stake. I'm gonna find you might just be testing me for numbers. You want to go someplace else. You're just looking for me. I'm a competing bid. That uh, happens a lot. It happens to everybody. I need I need to find out what's going on on the other side before I throw something out. Because if you're looking for a competing bid, you're gonna talk about this interaction. Somebody says to you, you know, how expensive is Chris Voss? You're, what you're going to say is, God, it's ridiculous. Now everybody that comes to me is prepared to pay. 
<laughs> now, whatever, whatever, whatever number you imagine, you're going to brace yourself. You're going to be like, all right, what is it? Then when I give you my number, you, you'd be like, oh, that, that wasn't that bad. I could pay that. Okay. Okay. So how should people be? Cause we live in different times today, you know, uh, with this pandemic, some people are working, uh, a lot, you know, but at the same time, they working through this pandemic and I'm sure they're like, well, half of me saying I should just stay in this job because I need the money. It's a pandemic, but I also know I should get a raise or I should better my life in this job. And I want to, and I want to test that. What do people need to know? Like, is it different now since it's a pandemic and negotiating than when it's not? No, what I like about this is uh, there's comfortable inaction is less acceptable. When you're in a crisis, decision-making criteria, the smart moves are no different than they are when you're not in a crisis. You know, there's a Kennedy quote from way back about the risks and costs of comfortable inaction. Comfortable inaction is always a bad idea. In a non-crisis moment, you kind of live with it because the incremental pain is just a little bit at a time. And you, uh, after a year, you turn around and you're shocked at what you're putting up with, which you never would have put up with a year ago. But you got used to it a little at a time. So the rules for negotiating are still the same. How, how, do, you, how do you help make the other side's life better? There's tremendous opportunity here if you want to run to trouble. You know, if you... if Success is about running to trouble. The other thing that's nice about running to trouble is there are a lot fewer rules. So the tolerance for mistakes is much higher because nobody knows for sure what to do. So in a, in a crisis, now's the time to go to your boss. Like, how do I help us get through this? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we faced with? What, what are the crucial strategic issues that if we don't address are going to take us down? And how can I be involved? You put yourself in a position, two things are going to happen. Very little criticism for making a mistake because everybody's going to make mistakes and nobody knows for sure what's right or wrong. You're going to help the company through the problem and you're going to get credit for doing it and you're going to get visibility with the most important people at the company while it's going on. And the two issues are visibility and opportunity. And, you know, the downside just ain't there unless you're in the comfortable inaction. And, you you know, you want if you like mediocrity, don't make that mm. move. Yeah. Um, so I want to switch gears and talk about I have kids. So what kind of negotiation strategy, negotiation strategy can I get my three year old to do things? Do you have any do you have any tips on that? Yeah. So, well, all the stuff that you talking about before, like when you ask your bride, how can I help? That's also designed to get her to think mm -hmm. as a parent, what's your job? Your job is really teach your kids how to think, mm -hmm. you know, and, and any, any child from about, from about three forward. So you're, you're in a little bit of the sweet spot there. Now you're very involved with your children, teaching them how to think and the, the how questions. It's not so much what response you get in the moment. It's it. How does it build them as a person? How does it help them think? So, you know, you, you say you're a little three-year-old, you know, how do you how do you how do you expect to grow grow up if you don't eat your your vegetables? Mm. You know that ain't that ain't command that ain't order. Yeah, you know that's that's making her think. Even if she says, "Well, I still hate vegetables," <laughs> the point was you got her to think. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. Um, so I know you got a newsletter. 
that that you send out. What what can people expect in this newsletter? The newsletter is concise and actionable. You know, some people's newsletters, they you got so many different articles, you don't know what to read. You don't read anything. Our our newsletter is short, sweet. There's one article. It's actionable. You're going to be able to put it into gear, into use that day. It comes out of wherever you are. You're going to get it on Tuesday morning. Tuesday's a good day to tee yourself up because, you know, ideally you've had a weekend. You've gotten past Monday. Tuesday, you're rocking and rolling. Concise, actionable, free. It's a complimentary newsletter. Mm-hmm. And it's a gateway to everything. It's a gateway to our website. It's a gateway to all the offerings that we have. We're going to, the newsletter is the gold mine. It's the gateway. And in point of fact, you know, we've got some expensive training, which until you've read the book and read the newsletter some, you're not going to be ready for because our, our in-person training is high speed. It's not for beginners. And a lot of people get a long way on a book and a newsletter alone. You can make a big difference in your life right now with just those two things. Can anybody be a great negotiator? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, I'm a big fan of Daniel Coyle. He wrote a book called The Talent Code. Coyle is kind of along the contention that we're all kind of we're, we're all blank slates when we're born. You know, the geniuses just got their 10,000 hours in before anybody noticed. Um, you know, the, the guitar player that's playing, uh, you know, uh, Metallica at age seven. Well, the kid got interested in his father's guitar at age three mm-hmm. and just started playing and nobody paid any attention. So Coyle's contention, he's a much smarter man than I am and has done a lot more research is that everything is teachable. So at the Black Swan Group, do y'all, what, what does the company do? I know you help businesses. And people. And people. That's what I want to say. So what is like, can a, what would a normal person that wants to learn about negotiating like that would come to your site. What like what can they achieve on your site? Yeah, our, and our focus really is more people than than companies. Okay, all right. You know, we focus we focus on high performers. We market to people. We don't market to companies. We market to people who want to learn. So the newsletter is there, and it's uh, you got a you got a salary negotiation. You do a search for our salary negotiation articles. You know, whatever you have, we've written an article about it. Again, which is free. We've probably written three or four from different angles. You can pull those up. You don't even have to have read the book if you're willing to be guided by what's in the newsletter. We've got a, we've got a we've got a number of electronic downloads, salary negotiation. We got a bunch of stuff that's free on the website. A lot of stuff that's free. Now, and then when you're ready to take it take it to the next level, we got stuff you can pay for. Okay, so in the book you say a gun is to somebody said they got a minute to get them out before they they pull the trigger. Are you a person that could get a person out in a minute? It depends upon, well, no, it's going to take longer than a minute. My read in the moment is whether or not the person, is this an orchestrated homicide or is this a negotiation? You can, you can get a read in the moment real fast, whether or not this is um, the Israeli brothers, used to call it a killing journey. Is this a killing journey or is this an actual negotiation? Is there any collaboration here? I'm going to be able to tease that out real quick. I know what's going to re- what what should react you resonate with what you should resonate with if this is a negotiation. 
I'm going to throw that out there right away. If you're ironclad on 60 seconds, this is where you're not making a deal, period. My last move, actually, is to hang up before 60 seconds is over. Really? Yeah. What? Okay. Because if, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it. If not, they're going to hang around. Well, the, the last possibility, if I've diagnosed that you're pulling a trigger one way or the other, the last possibility might be that you want me to be an ineffective witness to have failed to stop you. And as a last ditch component of this journey, if a necessary element is for me to be on the phone when you pull the trigger and I've tried everything else, then my last move is to get off the phone in the hopes of disrupting your journey. That's the last move. Man, I couldn't imagine being in your shoes for, for everything you've seen. In your, you've seen three lifetimes of stuff, I'm sure that other people have seen. And I, I, I just admire negotiators in general. How close are the movies with negotiators in them? Is there one that you're like, if you're going to watch a movie about negotiating, watch this one because it's pretty accurate. Is there one out there like that? The closest one out there is um, The Negotiator, Kevin Spacey and Sam Jackson, which I think, and I should, I should be wrapped on the knuckles for forgetting the director's name. I think it's the same director who did Straight Outta Compton. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty I, I know, sure. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know exactly who you're talking about, but I, I totally forget the name too. But that you know that one was good. Now there there are some tweaks in there that they're they're that were wrong. But we used to play different clips from from that movie when we were training police hostage negotiators. So that that's a that's a pretty good movie. Okay. Well, Chris Voss never split the difference. Love the book. Um, I can't say it enough. Every time I'm on Rogan, you always ask me about the book. So it's cool. a thing where I love it. I think Thanks, it man. really is something people need to read. Just It just makes you a better person. Like some books you just read for fun, but some books actually help you in real life. And these this is definitely one that does that. So I, I definitely want people to read it. So Chris, thank you so much. Do you are you you're at the FBI negotiator on all your handles? Is that your handle that's, on there? Uh, that's my Instagram handle. Yeah, Instagram, Instagram handle. handle. Yeah. All right. All right, Chris. Well, I appreciate your time. Okay. Hey, man, I love what you're doing. Thank you for having me on. I really, really admire what you're doing. No, I admire you. And it's mutual respect. And it's just we're both going after our dreams. And that's what I said. Dreams don't have deadlines. So I keep everyone that listens to the podcast, I keep pushing them to go after it. Go after it. You only got one life. And after beating COVID, being in ICU for eight days, you know, doctor. I heard told, about that. Jesus. Yeah. The doctor said, hey, you, you know, we're not going to, we don't know if you're going to make it for two or three days. So get everything in order. And it's like, after something like that, you're like, dude, you're only here for a short amount of time. I've always yeah. loved life, but now it's to the next level, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's why I want to put on people like you that, that inspire other people to do great things. So thank you so much, Chris. Thanks, Michael. All right. Have a great one. Have a great one. All right. Thank you for listening to the Michael Yo show. Remember, give it five stars, leave a comment. If you're watching AGT, keep sharing my clip. I'll see you next time. Thank you. Later.